What an awesome day already. I am so glad you guys are here to experience all this together. I'm so thankful that CARE is our ministry spotlight uh, because I believe CARE is such a special place. I mean, and it embodies what the sermon is about, uh, a life of generosity that flows out of the gospel. And if you have not ever gone to volunteer there in some way, attend a chapel, do some reading, you've got to do it. Anytime I go... I always want to stay there, I want to get a job there, or I want to go to school there. They are just so contagious with their love and their joy. And to see those little kids, they are so smart. They are like, you know, on it. It is an amazing place. So please do check that out when you get a chance. Today we are talking about, um, we're continuing our series about how the gospel is involved in every aspect of our life. And so if the gospel invades every part of our life, uh, that flows even into our financial life. So today we're actually talking about the gospel and money. Now, I know that talking about money at church can be a very sensitive topic, right? And, and that's quite normal. I mean, uh, I'm not sure what your experiences have been at different churches because sometimes at church this topic can get abused. You know, it can be a shaming opportunity, a, a, a time where people are trying to get money from people. And, and I know, like, we, you've seen, you know, pastors that ab abuse finances and fly around in jets and have super mega mansions and just, you know. And so sometimes when we think about the church talking about money, those, those ideas come into our mind and it starts to get, you know, offensive. It gets uncomfortable. Or, or people think, oh, they always talk about money. So if you're a first-time guest here, uh, please know we don't always talk about money. But we're not afraid to talk about money. It's a part of our life. It is part of who we are. And Jesus talks about it. He doesn't avoid it. So we do need to venture into it. Now, money is also like a sensitive topic just individually, right? It doesn't, you don't have to be a church. When you meet people, you don't, hey, hi, how much do you make? Like, nobody talks about that, right? That's an uncomfortable thing. You don't do that unless you're at a really weird networking event, which they probably exist, I'm sure. Now, um, also, I know in my home, I never knew what my dad made. I didn't know how much money he made. Now, I could look around. I knew our family was doing okay. We had a nice house. He sent us to Christian school, you know. But I also know we didn't go on vacations or eat out, and we drove, like, Hondas and Toyotas. That was the way it was, you know. So you knew kind of, like, where you were, but you didn't know, like, how much? What are the numbers? Like, because it was a sensitive thing. Your, our, our parents, I don't know about you, but our parents didn't talk about money and what they made and, and things like that. So there's a little bit of like secrecy about it. I mean, some of it's also embedded in a desire to do right. You know, like we don't, um, you know, the Bible says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Like we don't take when people give and like bring them up and say, hey, look what so-and-so, how much they give. And it says, don't ever take someone and bring them to the, the valued places of the church because they are such big donors. It says, no, you're supposed to treat everyone you know, and you're supposed to kind of ignore that aspect and how you honor people. So, so there's also from that, that means, well, you got to be a little protected about it. You know, so, so talking about money is a sensitive thing. It is. And it is an emotional thing. Even though money itself is not emotional, it is amoral, it's not a good or bad thing. But since money is what activates our desires, it's the tool that we can use to do what we want to do, there's like an emotional element to it. You know, if I was to come and try to tell you what to do with your money, you would quickly get, you know, offended or angry at me because you're like, whoa, you're talking about my stuff. You know, so who are you to jump in on this? And so 
talking about money is a very, like, you know, careful thing. And, and there's good reason for that. But we are going to look at two passages in the Bible that are parallel. We're going to bounce back and forth from Matthew 6, where Jesus is speaking directly, and then 1 Timothy 6, where the apostles have taken what Jesus taught and I kind of like restated it for us to learn it even better. So we're going to go these two passages back and forth side by side to learn what it is that Jesus has to teach us, okay? Now, before we do that, I do want to play a game show with you. Anybody here love game shows? How many of you grew up, well, I guess you'd have to be my age, I don't know, maybe you do it in the next generation too, like watching Price is Right and all that good stuff, and you were like, if I was on that show, I would have been so rich. Like you always know the answers, and I don't know how, why these people could never get it. I never thought I would win Jeopardy though, so I know I'm not that smart. Today, we're going to play a game called Treasure Hunt. All right. Unfortunately, there's no money for you to win today, so um, I'm just going to ask for you to participate. But you might want to participate privately, or if you want to be bold and you want to participate by raising your hand or shouting me, that's okay. But that's not my goal. I'm not trying to out you on your uh, financial motivations or anything. But these game show questions are going to help us find where our heart is when it deals with money. All right. So. First question, when you dream of winning the lottery, right? You guys all do that? Like when I hit the jackpot, this is what I'm going to do. It's going to be, even if you don't play, you're going to dream of winning the lottery. What do you buy first? Is it everything you ever wanted? Is it gifts for all the family? Or are you going to solve a global problem, right? You're going to take that 480 payoff and then, you know, start something gigantic and beautiful that saves something, all right? So, question number two. When you get a raise, what do you do? Do you buy something special to celebrate the new money you have, all right? That's right, you finally got that thing you've been looking for and there. You got a raise, you get it. Do you save it for the future? Right? Some smart people there, like if I just got a 3% raise, I'm going to put that to the future and your savings account just got bigger, right? Or are you going to increase your giving? Are you going to be like, hey, I've been living on this much money now. I can give away that raise and see what comes of it. All right? Where do you fall on this? Buy something, save, or give. Now, when you find out someone makes more money than you, but at the same level job, all right? They do the same thing you do, but they make a lot more. How do you feel? A, I'm happy for them, right? Good for you. It's your money. Go, make it. Go for it. B, I think it's not fair. The system's rigged. It's against me. No one likes me. There's something wrong here. It's not fair. I should have what they have. Or C, I'm angry. I hope they wreck their car. I hope they lose it. I hope she gets fired, right? Where do you fall? on this spectrum when you find out someone makes more. Now, fourth question. When you donate to charity, you think about, A, the great things this is going to do, or B, what I could have bought with that. We're like, oh, man. C, should I have given less just in case I need it? Right? You never know. That car's going to break down next week and you just made a donation. Oh, man. Or D, should I have given more just in case they needed it? So, in every situation, 
we have these thoughts running through our minds in our financial world. And what they do is the answer to this actually starts to tell us where our heart is. Because Jesus makes this statement. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That statement comes from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read that passage and break into three parts to see what he's teaching. Okay? Matthew 6, 19 says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. All right, treasures is an odd word, right? Because we don't do treasure hunts. Any pirates out there? Anyone with a map with an X on it? Okay, you are looking for treasures. The rest of us are like trying to earn money, trying to, you know. So that's the same mindset. So think in that way, all right? Do not store up for yourselves money on earth. It says where moths and vermin destroy. Vermin's another word for rats. So don't let rats eat your money. And where thieves could break in and steal. But verse 20, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is the core thing that we're going to look at as we bounce back and forth into these verses. Is that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so... In other words, this is a command to invest in what really matters. Because the assumption in there is that there is treasure. There is resource there. There's resource that's either used in a way that gets wasted. And in this antique type, you know, um, culture they're in, they're talking about losing it to, to things deteriorating or someone coming and stealing it out of your house or things eating it and your harvest being gone because you didn't provide for it. But in our world, we would have different ways that that's wasteful. There's different ways that we lose or we invest in the wrong things. Because there's a contrast in Matthew and in 1 Timothy of things that are invested wisely and things that are, are wasted. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, it describes it like this. It says, those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare. Let's see, it's a trap into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or, or painful things. And so the reason that we need to invest what really matters is because it's what carries our heart into that. The heart is following those investments. It's going after that. Our desires and our investments become one together. Now, how many of you have ever made like a, a bad investment of some kind? You know, sometimes we get tricked into things. In, in 1 Timothy 6, it says, if, if you have this love of money, you're going to do things that are going to trap you, right? How many of you ever just wanted this new car so bad and you got it? And you probably overspent and you got the thing and you have that payment. And you got this six-year loan now that you're going to pay off. But almost never do you love that car for the rest of that six years, right? About a year into it, you're like, it's dirty now. It's old now. I see better ones now. There's uh, goldfish and crackers in all the seats. It's breaking down. You know, so what happens is at first you think, this is all I need. I love it. And then as time goes on, you realize, you know what, now I love something else. Have you ever had a bad vacation? Right? Aren't bad vacations expensive? Like you get ready to go on a trip. Let's say, let's go to Disney. Let's have a bad Disney vacation. Not that all Disney vacations are bad, but sometimes they are, right? 
So let's say you pack up all the family, you get ready to go, and you're going to go in July because that's when you had time off. And it's 110 degrees and there's a guaranteed thunderstorm while you're there, right? And your car is going to overheat on the way and the kids are going to be crying and you're going to be fighting with your husband and your wife about the whole situation. And all you did was plunk thousands of dollars to wait in line for hours. And at the end of it, you're like, why did we do this? Why was it? And it's just this colossal crash. And you're like, man, that was such a waste. Or you do that exact same thing. But let's say you go in October this time and the weather sure is nice. Go while school's in session because everyone else isn't there and all the lines are shorter and everyone's at a greater peace and everyone has a nice attitude and you do the exact same thing. You spend the exact same amount of money, but everything feels different because it's the heart. It's the desires that are connected to the expense, to the things that go out that make the difference. See, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And finding out what really is good for your heart to invest in, that is when you begin to enjoy the things that God has given you. And so in 1 Timothy 6, he's given this warning that if you fall in love with money, you will be trapped. It is a trap that never ends. No matter how much you get, you can get more. And then when you have it, you realize it's not enough. And even when you buy things, it's so temporary. I know that we are quickly approaching this wonderful time of the season called Black Friday, right? Black Friday is the national holiday of materialism, greed, and wasted money, isn't it? It is the day we all get super hyped about going shopping. You get up early. You find all the deals. Now, I know that Amazon has destroyed this. So this is kind of a thing of the past where people used to get up at 5 a.m. and hit all the stores to try to get things as much as they can. Uh, But it was such a clear picture, right, of wanting to get more and to try to get that deal and to try to get everything you could get in one shopping cart before the other people get it and and having to run around. It was chaos. There was always a great news story that just showed people just losing all humanity and diving into chaos and destroying everything for a TV or a bear that talks or whatever. Now, after you get all that stuff, a year later you need to put it in storage because Florida is number one in self-storage facilities in the United States. So after you buy everything, you need to rent a room outside of your house to put it all in. Because you have a car, you don't have your uh, garage to put it in. You've already turned that into an efficiency, right? So you've got to put it in a storage unit. And storage units are booming. There's actually more self-storage units in Florida or in the country than there are McDonald's. So... I don't know if that's a good stat or a bad stat, right? But there's more. And so what happens is we have this, like, addiction to get and to get and to get. I don't know about you, but for some reason, I don't know how it works, Amazon delivers a package to my house every single day. I don't know who clicks the button. I don't know what's going on. But there's not a day that goes by that Amazon's not at my house, right? My streak for Amazon packages is way beyond my quiet time streak. Exactly. It's just always there, always on time. And I just assume all of you are the same, right? Doesn't everybody get something delivered to their house every single day? And so you just see this constant. And there's a joy in that. There's a, there's a temporary fix that comes from being able to click and get it. Click 
and get it. Anything you want, you immediately have. But what happens is the accumulation of that never brings a satisfaction. You then just have stuff. And then you have new stuff, so you have to find a way to get rid of your old stuff so that you can fit your new stuff. And it just continues this cycle. And, and Jesus is warning us that your heart will not ever enjoy that. It says to invest in what really matters. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Haughty is just a word for proud or just self-confident. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I do want to pause and highlight that line. Look, God richly provides us everything to enjoy. Okay, so there's not a guilt or a shame or uh, an immorality associated with God providing these things to you. God has blessed you to be good at making money. He wants you to do that. If God has blessed you to be good as an entrepreneur or in your business or in your education or whatever field, however God has designed your life and He has blessed you through these things, those are from Him. It says that it's a blessing to you for you to enjoy. And so God has provided these for you. But what He then tells you is, but what are you really going to enjoy? You see, because the trap of the love of money is that you'll constantly enjoy the, the things. And when you are distracted by the things, you will miss out on what God has for you. In this verse, he talks about what it means to do that. In Matthew, he says, look, do not invest here. Do not store up your treasures on earth because it will get destroyed. But store up in heaven. And that, that, that feels nice right at the first, but then when you say, but what does that mean, right? Because like money and things are physical. You have them, you can count them, you can measure them, they do things. But what about heaven? What does it mean to invest in heaven? I, I, don't, I don't live there. I don't know what to do. I don't know how. So there's this gap of the physical and the actual, and then there's a spiritual aspect that you have to combine. And so 1 Timothy 6 makes that, that connection for us. It lets us know what it means to store up treasures in heaven. Verse 18, it says, they are to do good. So the beginning of his explanation of how to use your finances, how to use your resources, for, is begins with the action of doing what is good. Then it says, to be rich in good works. You see, because God is working in our lives for our hearts, not for our money. And so what begins is, is in the heart and who we are in becoming generous people. So he says, tell them to do good, to be rich in good work, and to be generous and ready to share. And so you see there's this internal process that goes. God is reaching to our hearts because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so when there is this new heart that follows after the generosity of God, then it, it flows in how we work, how we live, and then finally it also works in how we give and how we use our money. And so that is how we store up in heaven, is we become the people that God is teaching us to be. That we adopt the gospel principles of love and forgiveness, and we bring them into our lives, and they take over 
All these areas we've been teaching on each week, and it flows into your financial life. Now, he says this, verse 19, this is storing up treasures for yourselves as a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold of that which is truly life. So a true treasure is the right heart. It begins internally. Now, a way that we might be able to understand that, how many of you rent your home or your apartment, right? Any renters, anybody rents it? It's okay, say, we're not gonna say, oh, it's better to own. I know, if you could own, it'd be great. But if you rent, there's a certain mindset you have about your place. So if you rent, you live there, but you know it's not yours. You know in one year, three years, five years, whatever, you're out and that's someone else's house. So when you have that mindset, you're not investing a ton of money in it, are you? You do the basics, right? You, you have your furniture nice, especially get a nice bed, get a nice TV, right? You got to do the basics. Then you paint, you keep it clean, you keep it nice because you're going to live in it for this period of time. But you're not renovating, you're not adding on. You're not putting in the pool. You're not adding all these things because those are investments that you know if you dump that money into your rented house, you're going to leave and it go, goes to somebody else. So the same way in our investing into this culture in this world, God has put you here in this place, in this city, in this time, in this life, and you have to make do with this, right? So you buy the things that you need to live and to survive and to enjoy and to make this place home but to make this place home temporarily. Because God has called you to a greater kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We know that there is a future and that there is an eternity. And there is something bigger to invest in that I can put everything I have into enjoying now and in my own pleasure right now. And I don't invest in the kingdom of heaven. Then what happens is one day I move out and it's gone. And it's wasted and it belongs to somebody else. You see, we're here on a temporary basis. But so that doesn't mean that we don't care about where we are. Just like a renter lives in his home and keeps it neat and clean and makes it his own, but knowing that one day we're moving out. And so we order our hearts in that way so that we realize there's something greater to invest in than just what I can hold today. Jesus talks about this shift of mindset in Matthew 6, 24, and he uses a, a, an illustration. Verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, right, you start to lose your vision, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So he's saying, so your eyes are the only thing that see. So whatever you see, you see with your eyes, and that's what it is. So when you go blind, then everything is blind. So you have to change your view of treasures before you change how you behave. And so Jesus says you've got to change how you see this world before you're going to change how you live in this world. And that's what he talks about here in this illustration, to help us transform who we are. Now, one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? The way we view things could be different. There's things that I buy that you probably think are a waste of money. There's probably stuff you buy where I'm like, why would anybody ever buy that? Who would pay for that? You ever done that? Like anytime I'm walking through any major store, I'm like, who buys all this stuff? And you're like, maybe you do. I don't know. Now, here's something that is interesting. You could buy this 
small cube of trash from New York City. This is a, uh, a souvenir that you could purchase for $50 if you would like. And what it is, it's called garbage in New York City because it is garbage in New York City. And so what some clever entrepreneur in New York City did is he would pick up trash, he would put it in a little clear box, and he would sell it as a souvenir, and people would buy it. You know, so let's say you couldn't go to the ball drop, or let's say you went to the ball drop and it was awesome and you want a souvenir. Well, you can get some trash from the street at the ball drop and keep it on your uh, desk, I guess, to tell people, yeah, that was 2006, I was there. And there's my Pepsi. Um, so somebody bought that. Somebody said, you know what, I'll pay for that because, of, because they had a viewpoint. How many of you remember we had Art Basel in Miami? And it was a few years ago that this piece of art sold for $120,000. $120,000. Now, it is a banana with duct tape, which I could get you for five bucks, and for maybe $150, $200, I'll install it in your house, all right? <laughs> but meet me after in the ministry hub. But someone had a viewpoint where they believed in the, the theory, the idea of of the art, of the satire, of what's going on, and they purchased for $120,000 this piece of art to carry, right? Because one man's trash is another man's treasure because how you view things is how you value things. And so if you view it as being unique or special or one of a kind or I need it or I have to have it, then you are then investing into it like these did. And so we have to change our view of our money in this world if we want it to lead to our heart changing. Verse 24 of Matthew 6 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you hate one and you love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus brings this together. He says, look, you've got to set your heart towards something. He says, but if you set it towards money, you're going to be disappointed. You see, money is just a tool to do the things that we want to do. So if your desire is to build something that's lasting and important that God has built for you, then your money becomes a tool to do that and you get to enjoy that. But if you get distracted and just accumulating for what you can have now and for yourself, then your money becomes a tool for that and you get distracted and you feel empty. See, money is just a tool. It's not the masterpiece. It's not the goal. And here Jesus says, look, it's not the God. It doesn't bring you security. It doesn't bring you safety. It doesn't give you more life. It doesn't give you forgiveness. It can't give you love. It can't give you hope. And so money can never take the place of God. God is so generous. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The entire story of God's relationship to us is a story of generosity. We were sinners far from him. And that because God loved us so much, he gave his one and only son. God is willing to sacrifice, not to get something in return, but because he loved us. And so it says he gave himself freely so that we might have him. You see, the very seed of the of salvation, of gospel, which means that God loves us so much that he took our sin from us and he gave to us his righteousness. 
See, a debt that we could never pay. I could never pay for the sins that I've committed. I could never be good enough to outweigh the bad. But Jesus says you didn't have to. He says, I will pay those debts. And I will give you my righteousness. You see, the core of the gospel is generosity. It is God's generosity to us. And so as we live in the joy of being people who are freely forgiven, then it's only natural that flows from that is that we become generous people. Because the gospel itself is generous. Now, I would love to share with you a couple of examples in God's word of what generosity looks like. Not that there are necessarily uh, commands for how your generosity will look, but that these are examples that we could follow. Because it is a true statement. Proverbs 11.24 is such an, a beautiful verse to remember. As we look at this verse, I want you to think one second. Think of a generous person you know. Okay? Take a second. If you were to say, who is the most generous person in my life? Think about it. Now, when you have that name in your head, I want you to see how does this verse fit. It says, one, a person gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Another person withholds what he should give and he only suffers want. When you thought of that generous person, I imagine that same person in many areas of their life, you're like, oh, wow, their relationships are richer. The things that they experience in life, they enjoy more. The people that they give, they're, they're actually happy in what they're doing. They actually have a, a greater attitude. They're more encouraging. They're more faithful. You realize that when you think of generosity, you don't think of a check being written, do you? You thought of generosity being a spirit of a person who was someone who was, was encouraging and inclusive and had a purpose and wanted to give and to share and to see other people do and grow. That's generosity. Now, the Bible teaches generosity in many different ways and how it relates to our finance. One, in the Old Testament, God instituted tithing. Tithing is a very churchy word that just means 10%. So what, since Jesus had, uh, they had a theocracy in Israel, which means that kind of like the church and the government were pretty much the same thing at that point. And so what they would do is that they would say, look, if everyone gives 10%, then what happens is everything runs and functions. And the 10% rule was institu instituted by God for several reasons. One, it was doable. Everyone can live on 90% of their income. If you have uh, gone through your life, you realize, wait, if you think back what you used to make, and then you made more, and then you made more, and then you made more, you always just elevated your life and your spending to reach what you used to make, to make more and more and more. But at any point, we can make changes in our lives to live on the 90 and then be able to give. And so it's a doable thing. Then it's very calculatable in that you can plan it. That you can look and say, hey, if this is what I have and this is what I can give, this is how I want to do it. And then it was equitable. So if you made a lot of money and you gave 10%, you gave more, but you still, you had a lot. It was no big deal. And then if you made little, that 10% was still little, so it was fine. You were able to move on. And so God created this system across in the Old Testament. And many people carry that on to this day. In fact, that's how I was taught to give as a, as a young Christian. And as my parents taught me, we would live like that. Where you would tithe and that's how you would know what you could do and what you could give. And it would be able to do that. 
So many people still do that. And it's a great way to kind of lay a foundation of generosity where you're able to plan and prepare for it. But it's not the only way. And it's definitely not the way that everyone does. Another way that generosity was given us an example in God's word was through living a content life. So this is from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For there's nothing that you can take out of this world. So if you have food and clothes, be thankful. And this mindset people would take where they would get into a, a comfortable state of life. So whatever that was for them. Because we know that varies for many people. And they would have a comfortable state of life. And then from there they would say, if anything else I have beyond that, I'm just giving it all away. Because God has given me a contentment to have this house, this car, this place, and this level of, of income. And as God blesses more to come in, you know what? I don't need it. He's given it to me to give away. And so they fix their life income and everything else they just give away. And they just get to see, like, wow, God blesses my business. I get to be more generous. And as this grows, I'm more generous. So I thought that was a really cool way to live generously and, and be able to see how it fluctuates with how God blesses. Another way is sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving is a giving that is something that really goes beyond anyone could ask you to do. It's never something God commands to do. And it's not something someone else should command you to do. But it's when God moves in someone's heart to do something that's just a wow, like beyond. In Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 44 through 46, when the church was just starting, it says that people would sell all they have and then they would give to the poor and they would share all in common with generous hearts. And so you see this, this great act of, of this communal living that they had because it was a very special, unique time where God was lighting a flame of the church that was just going to explode all over the world and grow. And the people who were in that time were so overwhelmed that they would say, I just want to be a part of this. And they just fed into it. Jesus honored this same type of giving when he was at the temple one day. He was at the temple and there was this widow who was giving her offering and it says she put in two pennies. Jesus stops his disciples and he says, look, do you see this? And they're like, many people have come through here and given much bigger gifts. And they were wealthy and they had the means to do it. He says, but this lady, she gave all she had. And two pennies means nothing in accounting for that, for that organization. But God looked at her heart and said, she is giving more than all these others. Because generosity is about the heart, not the dollar values. And so these are, are ways that the Bible shows us what generosity is like. But you know, generosity isn't intended to just be a financial thing. In fact, before it's a financial thing, it becomes a character thing. You can freely be generous and generosity will set you free. Think about it. When people owe you a debt, do you freely forgive them? See, that's generosity not to hold people account for the wrongs they do. When you forgive someone, you are being generous and saying, you don't owe me anymore. I've forgiven you. Do you know when you are kind to people, you're being generous. Just that smile that you bring to encourage someone. When you are generous with your praise, when you're generous with encouraging, when you are complimenting, when you are easy to one who, who would come and lift other people up, that's generosity. 
That's generosity that's not finance-based, but that is the exact same thing. That's God changing my heart from being centered on me and what do I need and what do I want to now looking and seeing everyone here and saying, what do they need? How can I help them? How can I help them grow? What can I do? You see, it might not ever be a money thing because it first has to begin a heart thing. And you can freely be generous with your time to serve, with your love, with your kindness in every way. Because God has freely given to you, and so now you can freely give to others. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for who you are. You have given us the most beautiful example in sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Freely you have offered us salvation. We don't work for it or earn it back. And God, you have given us so much opportunity to do that for others. God, we know a broken world surrounds us, and that just means opportunity for us to be generous. And Lord, we know your blessings are just uh, overflowing on us, and that's a new opportunity to be generous. So Lord, take our minds off of the things that distract us. Take our eyes away from the flashy things and help our hearts to seek you and to honor you with all we have. In Jesus' name, amen.